This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We will be joined by a number of charity leaders and social entrepreneurs whose trading models work to end homelessness. We will be sharing their stories, tips, and of course, their face palm moments. Homeless Link is the national membership charity for organisations working directly with people who become homeless in England. We work to make services better and campaign for policy change that will help end homelessness. Homeless Link members get access to benefits that support you to build and develop your organisation and ensure your voice and experience is heard at a national, regional and local level. To find out more about Homeless Link membership for your organisation, visit homeless.org.uk forward slash join. Really pleased today to have Alicia from Bloody Good Employers with us. Really good to have you on. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. Really mm. pleased to be here. So I am Alicia Page and I have joined uh, Bloody Good Employers and been here for seven months now. And it's actually my first role within social enterprise. So it's a whole new world for me, which I'm getting used to and loving. Um, but yeah, definitely got some challenges, which I think we'll probably talk about as we go through. But before that, I worked in tech consulting. So in the private sector and kind of part of I think can relate probably with a lot of people's experience of what we've been through the last couple of years with COVID and really having a bit more space to accelerate thinking about what I want to do, which is how I ended up taking a big shift from yeah private sector into social enterprise. And um, I am the program manager for our Bloody Good Employers program, which works with companies, organisations, so any employers to review and improve policy, culture and comms about periods in the workplace to remove challenges for people who menstruate. And then we work very, very closely, I guess, operationally, we kind of act as one organisation with our founder charity, Bloody Good Period, who work to get period products and education to refugees, asylum seekers. And then we have a a blanket category, which is anybody who needs it. And that category is ever expanding um, with the demand rising, as as we're seeing at the moment with the impact of COVID and the refugee crisis. So yeah, that's me. Fantastic. It's really, yeah, really good to have you on. It's going to be such an interesting conversation, really looking forward to it. So Murphy, I'm going to let you have the first question though. Yeah, it's brilliant to have you on. I've heard of the organisation, you know, before thinking about it in a, in a work term as a woman tampon tax free tampons is something that is, is a conversation that happens quite a lot and it is so unspoke about I think particularly within the, the homelessness sector you know you can imagine not having somewhere to be able to you know wash yourself change yourself you know it, it's a huge thing and it and it isn't necessarily addressed in an open language so it's great to have you on and start having the conversation as you know this series is all about women in social enterprise women in the charity sector um, and trying to tell the stories of, of the people that work there and their experiences obviously you're you're coming from a a women's led organization yeah is it is the kind of gender differences talked about openly is the conversation of gender big in, in what you're doing yeah so I think yeah definitely um it's integral to what we do um and I think we as an organization we fall under the I guess the banner or the heading of a gendered based or gendered focused um, charity or organization we were female founded as as bloody good period the charity um by Gabby um who has recently left the organization and we're headed up by now Rachel our CEO who is brilliant 
and yeah very much a uh, most of our employees are female interestingly as bloody good employers we're 50 50 in terms of our founders so we've got gabby one of our founders and then also joe he wanted me to give him a shout out so hi joe <laughs> and it's i think it's really interesting and really important to have a a balance in this work um especially with the work that we do with employers because a lot of the challenges that we face are as a result of living in a world that is designed by and for cis men and we can't we can't equalize that without getting them involved in the conversation so having yeah having a male voice uh, or founder as part of the work is really important and really valuable as well but yeah I mean day to day it's very we we exist for all people who bleed so there's obviously a gendered element to our work but because our work is so specific we we focus on people who who menstruate and yeah we talk about gender all the time and I think even just being in an organization where it is predominantly women and we talk about something that people don't talk about at all periods it means that it allows us to be very open with each other so even you know just socially team meetings we're always talking about our menstrual cycles or whatever it is so yeah it's something that I've I've really valued and something that is really integral to our work as well and constantly making sure that we're challenging and talking about how our understanding of gender is changing as a society as well and really wanting Mm. to lean into that conversation and I guess yes yeah, speak up for people who are more marginalized um yeah it's a big part of our work and something that we really strive to be kind of on the front foot on mm, yeah I mean even from what you just said there that the inclusive language is really clear that it's been well thought out which is great to know I think it is an interesting one because it is such a such an organization that if you have experience of menstruating obviously it's going to be more affiliated with you but you're you know, so right that that if if you just involve people um, that have that experience, then of course no change is going to happen. Can, can we dig a little deeper in terms of the the actual employability employment program? What an employer might might do, and kind of the, the challenging conversations that you might have when, when engaging them. Yeah, definitely. So we so the work is still relatively new. So we're in our first year of trading and um, working with nine yeah, brilliant launch partners. And I think as as launch partners, they are people who are already kind of tapped into this conversation. Um, so we're starting a bit further ahead, hopefully, than some of the other organizations that we'd love to work with in the future. Um, but even within those organizations, the 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 journey has an impact has been really noticeable so in terms of what an employer can expect so we we go through like a 12 to 18 month program um, and we start out where we evaluate current experiences or understanding of menstruation in the workplace and we survey or we aim to survey every single staff member so every staff member is invited to complete a survey um, whether you menstruate or not And we really help employers with a comms toolkit as well to really from the offset encourage everyone to participate in this conversation. And then we, so we ask for experiences about, do you feel supported uh, with your menstrual health at work, as well as questions around how do you see your involvement in this conversation? Do you class yourself as an ally? And trying to understand 
culturally how comfortable people feel talking about periods so yeah right from the offset we're engaging everybody in that conversation and then once we've kind of done an assessment of um how the culture is and the comms and the policy is kind of performing before we've done any work we then launch into a series of three workshops again where we encourage we encourage everybody to complete the first workshop so that's uh just well I say basic knowledge but honestly I haven't met anybody including myself that has done the first workshop without learning something um even if you're somebody that menstruates that education around this is severely lacking um which I'm sure we can relate to you know learning what we learn at school is not always everything that goes on <laughs> so yeah we've had groups of all people who menstruate really learn um something from the work versus groups where we've got mixed um as well as cis men who have uh, yeah learned things about what menstruation is, how it works, but also the challenges that people might face. And we find it's been really interesting looking at the data so far. Again, we're early on, we haven't done our full evaluation yet, but it is quite clear that one of the core problems with this is that, or the reason why there are barriers to, to uh, making sure people are comfortable and supported with their menstrual health at work is that there's we're finding that people who menstruate are likely to feel uncomfortable talking about periods in the workplace and a key reason for that or one of the most popular reasons for that is because they're worried it will make somebody else feel uncomfortable yet we're also seeing that people who don't menstruate tend to say they do feel comfortable talking about it so it's quite interesting how there's this fear of talking about it because you don't want to make somebody else feel uncomfortable um, or you don't want to get it wrong, or you don't want to say this, the, the wrong thing. And I think as as women, um, we're conditioned to kind of keep our problems to ourselves, especially when it comes to periods, we don't want to put that on other people. So yeah, it's like basically cracking that wide open and saying, if you want to talk about periods, um, making sure that people have the education and know how to have those conversations at work. Because we've, we've done a bit of work together over the last few months and when we started out on that piece of work I did a bit of reading and and yeah I read the research paper that you guys have got on your website which is brilliant recommend people go and have a look at that but I had never worked in this administration before didn't know anything about it to be quite honest with you and it is a massive issue for employers isn't it you know I yeah I sort of hadn't had never really thought about it prior to sort of working with you guys but it's huge isn't it the sort of impact for employers that get this right it's just it is so important isn't it and it has such an impact for their business yeah there, there's some examples of employers that you've sort of worked with where it's had a real change for them yeah so we I guess at this early stage in the program I think I've been quite pre- pleasantly surprised by how quickly the work has been able to have an impact in some contexts so we've got for example if I take a group of one of our partners where it's all people who menstruate Um, straight away from the first workshop they're starting to think about other people's experience of menstruation and I think that's that's a really important factor here as well is that menstruation is very different for different people Um, and because we don't talk about it we kind of maybe just know our own experience but then not everybody else's so I think with the group in particular just opening up that conversation and seeing and having the opportunity to share stories as well saying oh you experience um, is completely different to mine. So you would need different support. 
and also looking at um, and talking about different menstrual health conditions like endometriosis, PCOS, and um, people who experience heavy bleeding and that sort of stuff, and thinking about what provisions can be put in place. We're really keen on making sure that any changes that we make are embedded and future-proof, which is why we don't we don't really come in, you know, do a one-off workshop and then say, here's a stamp, now you're a bloody good employer. We work with, with organisations, yeah, on a 12 to 18 month basis because there will be things that they can change quite quickly. I think providing period products for free in offices is one that is, um, you know, arguably in most cases a pretty easy change um, to have access to them in all, in all bathrooms and all toilets versus what a menstrual health policy could look like or how you're going to embed menstrual health into your policies. And they can be it can be very different depending on the organization and uh, what sector or what context you work in. We don't, we, we have an appetite to work with all sorts of sectors in all contexts because we think that there is a need for this work in all contexts. But what you have in your policy is going to look very different if all of your staff work from home versus if you've got staff that work, you know, in warehouses. We're talking with archaeologists who work out in literal literal fields so it's really really different and that's why we want to take the time to work with organizations survey their staff understand their experiences their context their unique challenges to then come up with solutions that are fit for them so yeah there's been quick changes that people can make but also I think part of the journey is realizing right this is a longer term thing we need to think about and we want to make uh, take the time to make sure we do that right Awesome. It's, yeah, it's so exciting to hear. I think one of the things um, that resonated with me, I guess, bringing it back into, into the sort of homelessness sector as well, and how, and sort of diversity of workforces. But for a lot of people, you know, going to school, if you're menstruating, isn't possible, because you don't have the funds to be able to buy the products that you need um, to stay clean and, and, and feel okay about yourself. Likewise, the same in the workplace, you know, so being able to have access to those products that enable you to you know get on with your day and, and not have to be at home is, is huge and is often overlooked um so yeah it's really exciting to hear that you're looking at it on all the different levels you know it's so multifaceted the work that you're that you're doing yeah definitely and I think um in terms of there's there's a real range of experiences so our research showed that um kind of more I guess, relatable maybe for a lot of people. So the research that we did, uh, there's a stat that really sticks out to me, which is 89% of people have experienced stress or anxiety in the workplace due to their periods. Um, but the underlying reasons for that can vary greatly. So you've got on the more extreme end, 4% of people saying that they never had free access to toilets or breaks and 11% only sometimes. And for somebody who's menstruating, even if you're not menstruating, not being able to go to the toilet when you need to is, you know, a big problem. But then there's probably more relatable or common experiences that that we would be able to relate to. So just, you know, surprisingly coming on your period or not remembering to bring your um, period products into the office with you or into work with you and just not not having access to them. You know, it's it's an unnecessary stress. And it's kind of speaks to workplaces that are designed by people and for people who don't menstruate. When I go to the bathroom, I expect to have toilet paper. I don't need to bring my own from home. So it's just how can we make workplaces more comfortable and appropriate for the people that are occupying them? Mm. The, the more we talk about this, the more it just seems, you know, this is 
this has been an issue forever. <laughs> like this is not new. How has it taken to till now, you know, for us to really go, well, hang on. And you do, you forget that the, you know, the systems that we live in are, are male dominated. Um, you know, historically, if you were to be on your period, you would you would be outside the house. You know, you weren't you weren't able to be with your family. It's it's scary <laughs> to think that we're we're not quite as far along in that space as, as we need to be. How does the model work for bloody good employers? What what's the sort of mo- the the trading model or the model of operating that you've got in place there? So we yeah, and I get the sense that this is maybe a bit different to other social enterprises, but because we've we're, we're developed out of charity, out of bloody good period, we work I guess yeah operationally kind of as one, um, but you know technically we're a we're a subsidiary company of of bloody good period and um we generate income and we're profiting already which is great um within our first our first year of trading and we're having conversations about how much we reinvest into into the program but we we were very much established for two key reasons and uh one of those is as a fundraiser fundraiser for bloody good periods um you know extending the work that we do with asylum seekers and refugees and then noticing and recognizing that that shame and stigma exists throughout society so bringing this into a workplace context is yeah as a means to a have these conversations in the workplace make the workplace more more comfortable and appropriate for people who are menstruating but b to have that revenue um for bloody good period so yeah quite simply we well simply (laughs) we um yeah we we sell the work um and then profits are donated back to bloody good period um or reinvested in into the program Mm. it's that's so exciting that you're profiting already you know it sounds i mean there is obviously a clear argument there is a huge need for this yeah i think even you know we've been chatting for 10 minutes or so and there's there's so many examples i could think of where where this kind of training would be so useful do you think that it's likely that you sort of grow your beneficiary group because thinking about um foster parents um people taking in ukrainian families at the moment and who, who may be you know male household you may not understand it or uh, people that haven't menstruated before people adopting you know there, there's so many examples where you think oh this could be really good you know for fathers <laughs> Um, you know single fathers especially who who might not have the ability to talk about it or the confidence to know to know how they can support um, their children yeah I think um, yeah that example in particular is an interesting one and it's something that I guess kind of happens as a byproduct of the work that we do Um, you know I think alongside all of this we yeah bloody good period as an organization will always continue to focus on refugees asylum seekers um, and those who use services um, like food banks for example um, and with a focus on product and education and then I think as part of the work that we do as bloody good employers working with people in the workplace you know we we do get comments after the workshops that yes whilst our work is workplace focused people are saying oh I'm now thinking about how I can talk to my daughter about this who has just started who has just started their period so um there's definitely a lot of crossovers yeah I mean who knows where where we'll go in the future I think there's so much to tackle with the groups that we already we Mm. already work with but I think a key part of or big part of of, a bloody good period and what we do as an organization is the thought leadership around this so when we look at other people that are doing work in the period space with 
with employers, for example, there's lots of people talking about menopause. Um, but still, I'd say we are, the, I haven't come across too many other people that are really focusing on periods in the way that we are. So, you know, we're really active on social media with thought leadership, um, using inclusive language and doing all of that stuff, which is being recognized throughout the industry. Things like Asda and Boots changing their um, the label of their aisles from feminine hygiene to period products. You know, I think we can feel good and confident about having contributed to that, that, mm. that line of thinking. So, yeah, I think the work definitely spreads beyond just the specific groups that, that we're assisting in like a practical way. Awesome. Thanks. But you mentioned that you're so in the lead up to sort of recording today, you're talking about your moving across from sort of corporate and, and consultancy into social enterprise and and you know in your first year of that which is brilliant has there been anyone that you've had a sort of really powerful conversation with um that sort of helped you not trans transition is the wrong word because I, I don't think there is this big divide between corporate and social enterprise but it, yeah has there been anyone in particular that you sort of reference and say the conversation with that individual really helped me to realize the, the difference that social enterprise has to corporate I suppose is there anyone that you can sort of recall yeah I think I think thinking about the transition it's yeah it's interesting because it's not just going from corporate to social enterprise it's going from like a medium to large size corporate to a social enterprise but is actually like a startup so really so there's loads of transitions there so it's it's yeah it's difficult to say oh my experience of corporate is a and my experience of social enterprise is b because there's yeah it's completely different in terms of the setup but I think in terms of conversations that I recall I think there's probably I've always been really fortunate and honestly have really really valued working with great female leaders and there's there's three actually that I really I think have learned from and taken inspiration from. So Keris Johnson, who is the CEO um, at REPL, where I was when I was working in tech consulting. Then there's Gabby, who founded BGP. Um, and then I also did a short stint with um, Alice Pelton at The Lowdown, a contraception review platform startup. And I think one thing that I was reflecting on about all of these uh, women is how... I think moving into a new sector or anything can be really overwhelming and there's a lot of I didn't really think when I changed jobs I didn't really think I'm going to go into social enterprise I thought I'm really passionate about gender equality I'm really passionate about periods which was the motivation for the move and to be honest until I actually got into the work I was like oh now I'm in the social enterprise industry that's not really so it's kind of like a late thing for me um, and then kind of overwhelming thinking about what that means and uh, as a sector fully. But the one thing that has really stuck with me and what I've really valued is that when in doubt, keeping things simple um, and not overcomplicating things. I think, you know, there's a lot of like buzzwords flying around. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of, I guess, pressure maybe that I put on myself to, to know everything and to think, okay, this is what these people are doing. This is what people are talking about in the industry. But if I think of those three female leaders that I've worked with, what all of them have in common is that they keep, they're straightforward, they're simple, um, they're e simple, I mean that in a good way. <laughs> they're easy to understand, you know, and really when you break things down, lots of people don't 
really know all the big words or know what everything means. And I really appreciate that clarity and straightforwardness. Um, so yeah, that's something that I've really carried with me and tried to hang on to when I'm in rooms where I feel like I don't really know what people are talking about and it's worked for them. So yeah. Mm, it's a really, really good answer. I think it, it really resonates with me. I remember going to my first conference in the charity sector and they were talking about these things and I was feeling, you know, I felt like I was the youngest there, just finished uni. I was very aware that I knew little and I was praying no one asked me a question because I thought I'm just not gonna have an answer. And they were talking about this, um, it was a corporate fundraising event and they were talking about these different themes and different concepts and I was getting this over my head. And uh, a CEO from a charity that I really admired stood up and said, I don't know what any like what these words are saying and just made them speak it out in layman's terms and I was like yeah that that's a I want to be like her <laughs> and that was brilliant because it's this this shyness to say I don't understand and actually the strength in in choosing to learn <laughs> as opposed to kind of staying quiet so yeah when you said that sort of simple straight talking yeah the definitely qualities I, I admire definitely as well yeah for sure I'm gonna get Murphy this is Murphy's favorite questions I'm gonna get in there before her uh, the face palm. You've, you should have been quicker, Murphy. I'm left... grimacing. For the listeners, you can't see my face. I'm yeah. grimacing. <laughs> you, had, you had at least five seconds to get in there before me. <laughs> so this is our favourite question, and it's just for fun, really. Is there a favourite face palm moment? And that might be from your time with bloody good employers. This is a chance to get Joe back, uh, <laughs> potentially, or yeah, or previous work. But uh, yeah, like a classic. We we just love a good face palm moment, really. I think so. There's definitely lots of them. I won't, I'll spare you the details of some of my face palm moments whilst realizing that I'd randomly jumped into a tech consulting role when I'm not a technical person at all. <laughs> um, they're probably quite boring. We're talking about like system integration face palm moments, which to be honest, I probably still don't even understand. So yeah, I've, I've, I've had a lot of face palm moments and failed a lot. And getting comfortable with failure is something that I'm, yeah still still working on I think a more recent one has been coming into this role uh yeah it's been seven months now and all of a sudden getting media requests which is not something I'm used to at all but something I've always thought yeah I could I'd, I'd quite like to give that a go you know you see people on tv you see them on the radio all the time and I'm like I could do that and I got asked to go on the radio a few weeks ago and it was quite scary and yeah, long story short, it was a bit more confrontational than I was expecting. And I was probably a bit naive to thinking it wouldn't be, even though they said it wouldn't be. But kind of came out of it feeling positive and feeling like, okay, yeah, that was okay. Would be open to doing it again. And then that experience was good. Um, but then the media request kept flooding through kind of as a result of that interview. But also uh, there's been a lot of talk around menstrual leave policy in the media recently um, because Spain had just introduced it and we'd spent we'd had a request to kind of put some comments together for a BBC article um, which we did really trying to focus on the nuance of what we do so we don't think that blanket menstrual leave policy is the answer and we tried to make this very clear and you know being really responsive to the to the reporter or the journalist and then when the article was finally published it said UK charities call for menstrual leave policy. That was the title. So everyone latched onto that. And we're just thinking, you know, face palm. That's not what we said. That's not helpful. 
And now we need to spend time trying to actually get people to actually read the article so they can see what we said rather than just latching onto the headline, which which we've been able to do. But I think it it just, yeah, kind of a facepalm moment in terms of recognizing that getting really excited about loads of media requests, but then realizing actually it's okay to kind of lean back from them maybe once we've said what we've said and um we don't need to kind of keep talking about the same topic and noticing how you know those types of things like to latch on to confrontation I think and that's how they sell and that's how they get an audience so yeah kind of like steering away steering away from that and also noticing how important nuance is in our work and trying to give space and create space for that where we can so yeah I guess face palm moment is probably not going to be a radio star but I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you're going to be a big hit in the podcasting world <laughs> yeah watch this space after the podcasting press. debut today you're going to be yeah wait for the request to flood in again fantastic quite quite a common one the press thing I think I remember getting doing um like a half day training on uh, like angles so you'd say a sentence and they would like come back to you like these are the ways that that could be perceived and I was just completely shocked that you know you think as a charity or social enterprise you're doing something good and telling a story for someone to portray it (laughs) in a way that obviously it's not intended to be and how how simplistically you have to say things yeah I've had some some similar face palm moments heading, heading towards the, the latter end of the podcast today. And I really liked some of the answers you gave about the, the women that you've been inspired by. Are there any particular um, other women-led organizations, social enterprises that you've, that you've seen out there that you've got your eye on? Yeah. So again, very new in the space. Um, and I think my first, my first networking opportunity as after joining this industry was, um, the wise 100 women in social enterprise so oh yeah that's where we met <laughs> yeah exactly so I yeah I haven't really I've, I've been surrounded by women the whole time since I, I've been in this industry um but I think I'm um, probably everybody who was there could relate um Laura North from We Speak just mm. brilliant organization and it was yeah really I remember in tears just like listening to to what they do but also hearing uh the people speak um who had been on their program as well genuinely the best speakers of the day um so I think yeah great organization that I'd love to follow and can't wait to see yeah how they develop yeah yeah they were great they were really authentic Simon Simon was watching online weren't you wasn't quite the same person no it was it was brilliant (laughs) to be there but we'll put a link out for them in the show notes actually I think that'd be quite nice yeah Um, definitely yeah brilliant uh, Alicia, it's been so good to have you on today. And I know we could talk loads more about this subject. Where can people find out more about bloody good employers, bloody good periods? Where do we get all that information from? So I think I definitely recommend a follow on Instagram if you're on Instagram, because it's a great Instagram. And yeah, our comms team do a really good job with that. Um, so yeah, that's at bloody good periods. Um, and it's the same on Twitter. Uh, and then in terms of bloody good employers um, you can head to our website if you just google bloody good employers um, and give us a follow on LinkedIn as well we've got our own bloody good employers page where we post updates uh, try and get some interactivity in the conversation and yeah keep you posted on what what we've got going on. If you or one of your colleagues would like to find out more about the social enterprise development work at Homeless Link 
we will be holding our annual Enterprise Development Conference on the 16th of November. For tickets, please go to homeless.org.uk forward slash event forward slash enterprise hyphen development hyphen conference. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know or email us at thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk.